0: The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Outlander business. The two seater commercial SUV with over 2,000 litres of cargo space, two
1: ton towing capacity, and legendary four wheel drive technology. MitsubishiMotors.ie. Well, the week on the Right Hook here at Newstalk is coming to an end with me, George Hook, and we've got some of the outstanding items of today's show that you can listen to just in case you miss them. Now, uh, I'm joined in the studio by Deirdre McSweeney, who is a cognitive behaviour therapist for insomnia. Deirdre, welcome to the programme. Thank you, George. Now... What's different? Is there a difference between insomnia and not being able to sleep?
2: Yes, actually, good <laughs> good point here. Uh, one of the main things is I should point out that everybody has nights where they can't sleep yeah. or they don't sleep well, and that's perfectly normal. But insomnia has a proper definition within the clinical medical field, if you like, and that is difficulties initiating or maintaining sleep that has become persistent. And within that comes the the condition where people get obsessed about their sleep. Sometimes with, people with, with uh, people with sleep difficulties, it's the first thing they think about when they're in, in the morning. They're already wondering what the next night is going to be like.
1: But uh, there are two things. If you do have this odd night, and I confess I'm one of the lucky people who doesn't have it, um, whose head hits the pillow, falls asleep, and, yeah. and wakes up when it's time to get up uh, without the benefit of an alarm. But when I have a bad night... Um, because I'm worried about something or oh, whatever happens to be. I am wrecked the following day.
2: So presumably insomniacs must be wrecked yeah, every it's day. A, it's interesting, knowing I was coming in to meet you, I have a piece of literature that just is two weeks old, George, and it shows that the majority of people who seek help because of their insomnia, seek it because of the functional impact on their daytime functioning, rather than not sleeping or poor sleeping or length of sleep because people eventually if this is happening over a couple of weeks or indeed months they grow a kind of a frustrated uh, acceptance of it but it is the daytime functioning issues that prove to be the problem but
1: it's not just a couple of weeks I mean People go through lifetimes. I mean, people very close to me um, have spent a lifetime unable to sleep. Yes. But have not sought help is the interesting thing.
2: Okay, well, that is. So there must be a
1: lot of insomniacs out there who aren't seeking help.
2: Absolutely. It's grossly underreported. I did a small little study with a couple of GP practices and it tends to be the third thing that people report to their GPs when they're back to have the blood pressure checked or the sore throat dealt with or whatever. Suddenly, oh, did I tell you I'm not sleeping that well? Well.
1: Um, the the thing ab- about this, and um, my guest, by the way, is Deirdre McSweeney, who's um, a cognitive behaviour therapist, but we're talking about her speciality, which is insomnia. Uh, now, if you have a text on that, you might send uh, it to me at 53106. But the, the thing, Deirdre, is that Because of the prevalence of sleeping pills, do people not think, well, you know, I can't cure the common cold or I can't cure cancer or whatever, but I can cure not being able to sleep if I take a pill?
2: Sure. And medication has a part to play. Does it? Oh, absolutely. But would you not
1: be deeply worried about somebody take a medication every time they sure, want to go again, to sleep. but again, the
2: GP population out there are highly educated in terms of handing out sleeping medication for limited periods of time. But can I just tell you that the key in all of this is actually within the title there of cognitive behaviour therapy, because actually a lot of our behaviours add in to our sleep issue or sleep problem issue. And one of the key ones for me is using the bedroom as almost a recreation space. The TV is on at the foot of the bed. There's a cup of coffee on the table beside you. There's a twin tower of books to be read. The laptop is there. People are playing on their screens. And it's the issue of screens that I have the biggest problem with in terms of people and some of their behaviors. All right, if you
1: have an issue with screens, um, and and the more recent ones, iPads, laptops, phones, Kindles. then the, the incidence of insomnia and the number of insomniacs must have increased
2: sure, sure. tenfold, and absolutely, and the distress attached to it as well. But you the see, p- one of the things
1: I I, I I would suggest that when when you get people come into you, I, you probably do ask them the question: like, "Well, is the phone by your bed and mm-hmm. is it switched mm-hmm. on?" Mm-hmm. I mean, how in the name of God are you going to go to sleep if it's suddenly gone? Well,
2: but George, the numbers the numbers of people who are on their phone in the middle of the night. I can't sleep, so ah, uh, I'll just check through the Facebook page again. Crazy. Well, what
1: about um, the cure when I, I was a child? counting sheep, yes. and the theory was that you counted sheep jumping over a hedge. And by the time you got to number 36, True. you were asleep. True,
2: And in fact, some of my older patients would say prayer does the same thing for them. A repetitiveness in there. But there is a module within the CBT uh, for insomnia where you deal with the racing mind, the intrusive thoughts. And that's huge for people as well. And you intimated it yourself with your occasional bad night. Uh, One of the key things I talk to people about always is to have a period in the early part of the evening where they put the day to bed. They dump the day. They think about what has gone on during the past day and get rid of it. Because what what is the point of being annoyed about something that happened at 11 o'clock in the morning and then do a to do list also. Because you're going to bed, therefore, with this clear landscape in your head that everything is sorted now for the morning and your wind down time, therefore, should be as it should be, relaxing and non-stimulating.
1: I was talking to my two grandsons this morning and uh, one of them slept late uh, because he had gone for a run last night. Now, Mm -hmm. I know I'm talking about 10, 12 year olds, but but. uh, What I always found is if I went for a run at night uh, or some kind of physical
2: exercise, you were quite tired and you tended to sleep. Okay, and that's another key point, because what I try and stress to people is being tired doesn't mean you have to fall into bed. It deserves a rest or a break, but it doesn't need sleep. Whereas true sleepiness should be at the proper end of the day. And it's related to The sky darkening at night, because unbeknownst to us all, lots of different things happen in our body during the nighttime sequence. And one of them is the production of melatonin, which is our cue CUE into sleep. So exercise in the late evening, in my view, is not recommended either. There should be a two hour gap between both.
1: Okay. Gap I'm with all right don't have a problem with gap but I find if you exercise and and you have a shower and you kind of then get into like something casual like track or whatever mm-hmm. uh, the whole thing in your head is kind of
2: wind down time yeah 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 I mean
1: I turn the phone off at seven o'clock Mm-hmm. And I turn it on at nine o'clock yep. the following morning. Yeah, <laughs> I, perfect. You know, perfect. And so, like, if somebody wants me, they can find me tomorrow. Sure,
2: sure. And that's the way to face but into it. Well, I don't
1: get why. Like, there's a problem with the modern generation. And and I, I don't know how many insomniacs I have who are over 55 as opposed to it might be over 25. Both. This generation. Eats lunch at a desk, uh, keeps the phone on day and night, does emails on the holidays. They do everything that even a layman like me would say is destructive for sleep.
2: Totally. Everything seems to be at the maxed up type of level of experience. But just going back to the quick shower after, after exercising and stuff, again, a lot of people used to think of a nice soak in a bath with the nice oils or the candles or whatever, is very conducive to sleep. But again, not too close to bedtime. We need a two hour gap because this is part of the chemistry that is reset in our sleep. We raise our core body temperature by having a hot bath in the in the late evening before bed. And that kind of knocks out this little guide into sleep as well. And I also have to confess, George, that I'm, I'm a devil about dress code. When you get out of a shower or a bath, in the evening, you get back into your day clothes because you're going back into the living room. So the floating round at home in the jam jams or the fluffy dressing gown is not on. Ah,
1: that's it. I I disagree absolutely a zillion. (laughs) I'm a firm believer in walking around the house uh, semi-naked. I'm a firm believer. I never wear shoes in the house. I put shoes on to go outside. I walk around uh, um, barefooted all the time in my uh, boxer shorts, which are a joy to behold.
2: No doubt. And that's a different picture entirely. I'm talking about the people who float out of the bathroom, wrapped in the cosy dressing gown to put the feet up in front of the telly. Why am I making a big deal about that? Well, essentially, you're giving your body a confused and contradictory message. Oh, look, I'm nice and cosy and warm. I'm in my night clothes. But actually in the wrong place.
1: But I I got the television screen by the bed. I got the phone by the bed. I got the cup of coffee by the bed. I didn't quite get the book by the bed because, I mean, a a tremendous number of people, me included, uh, including Ella on on a text message, that reading and then you nod off.
2: Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely and relaxing. I have to say I ban reading like that in bed for people who have a sleep problem. I mean, I'm a reader myself and in bed, but people are now switching to the Kindle to read on because of its handiness. And of course, it has the same light frequency in behind that screen to generate the image for you as an iPhone, as a telly, as a laptop, as an iPad. And mm. that is the issue. It's and of course,
1: if you use your Kindle, you can also access your emails. In of, course, of, it, of course, which you can't do in a paperback.
2: Sure, sure. Give me the smell of the paper anytime.
1: Uh, Interestingly, I find three cups of coffee before I go to bed very conducive to sleep. (laughs) But George, you
2: don't have a sleep problem, no. And I I I never, I hate knocking things that are enjoyable to people when there isn't a sleep issue there. We just have to be clean about different things that affect people and have an impact on people. And the main impact on sleep from an environment point of view is noise and light.
1: Now, I have to be careful here because it's before the watershed. Okay, it's 5.30. (laughs) But the great thing always, the critical thing or the criticism aimed at men always was that after contact with their partner or whatever the man rolled over and went to sleep yes is there a
2: connection between we all sleep better after sex of course we do but it works specifically well for men does somehow. it better yes. for men yes you're only trying to put me in the corner now no
1: I'm not i <laughs> actually
2: not I,
1: I always fell asleep <laughs> I was just wondering um, but, but the other thing then finally because people are asking this question a lot sure shift workers by definition are trying to sleep when the body says they shouldn't be sleeping. Oh yes
2: it's dreadful. So that's dreadful.
1: that's a different problem.
0: Yes
2: and again there's an increasing uh, workplace population out there that do shift work. Um, yeah. and there's various rules and regulations laid down within the industrial acts uh, to cope with that. But for the simple um, procedures about how to manage your sleep and that's what you're trying to do when you're doing a period of shift work. And I mean the nursing contingent the fire the police taxi the, drivers
1: and Taxi drivers,
2: air traffic controllers. My God, there's such a a huge uh, bulk of people out there. One key thing coming off nights to get home, to get to bed is wear dark glasses in the car or on the bus on the way home. In other words, darken your world somewhat, even though the mornings are so bright now for coming off night duty to sort of induce that darkening of the brain as well. And this creating of the melatonin, have a little bit of a gap of an hour before you get into your bed when you get home in the morning or late morning, indeed, and lead into sleep. And of course, a few nights on night duty are much better for you than a random one here or there in terms of recovery.
1: Right. I always think when I, when I fly to America, I always feel so sorry for air crew because sure. it's such an extraordinarily difficult job. Sure. Listen, I have to have you back because we'll, we'll have to... There's so many... I didn't know uh, half the population of the Right Hook audience would appear to be insomniacs. Poor because thing. That. Yeah, because yeah. I have a lot of questions here. Okay. My thanks to my guest, Deirdre McSweeney, Cognitive Behaviour Therapist uh, for Insomnia.
3: The right hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7 seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super
1: smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie. Uh, Shane Coleman is with me, uh, ecstatic uh, at the opening of uh, Euro 2016. I do have a few butterflies in my stomach I have to admit George. I can't believe it. I just like all right no I'm not going to interrupt. I think tell me what has you all excited. Well, the great Danish existentialist
0: Søren Kierkegaard tough name to pronounce Kierkegaard Kierkegaard said yeah. life must I be I thought
1: you were going to say Saren Kelsen the great Danish golfer on the PGA no Tour. something
0: a bit more important than that right. he said life must be understood backward but lived forward yes and that's when it comes to the European Championship and the World Cup that's exactly my life because you know I live life in in the day I don't you know football isn't the most important thing in my life yet When I look back on my life, I inevitably associate it with major international sporting events, the World Cup or the European Championship. If you like, my life is a series of bite-sized four-year cycles. With the World Cup at the start of it And the European Championship in the middle So for example I can remember my first World Cup 78 I was in primary school I can clearly remember Being allowed to stay at home To watch one of the games Um, By 82 Which was the first one? In Argentina in 78 The Argentinian World World Cup Uh, The 82 World Cup I was kind of I was in secondary school sort of bit more my own man had my first love affair I fell in love with the Brazilian incredibly exotic Brazilian team of Zico and uh, Socrates and Adair and it sort of goes on like that by 84 I was kind of watching it in a friend's house a group of us brilliant time 86 i was doing my leaving cert i heard about england losing to portugal by by the shouts from my dad and my brother next door they were watching it i was in studying for an exam the next day italian 90 i'd sort of finished college Uh, euro 88 when ray houghton put the ball in the english net i was going on my on my j1 and then all the way up to say 2002 when i was in the coom watching the ireland versus spain game i son, my firstborn had just been delivered and I was dancing around as Robbie Keane put that penalty in against Bain but doing it in a very kind of ginger, uh, cautious manner because I didn't want to wake up my kids. So when I look back on my life it's I do it kind of almost in those kind of cycles Uh. and did
1: anybody ever use the word pathetic? Yeah, in I look at it, I
0: I'm not I'm not saying it's something necessarily to be proud of but and it's funny because the last World Cup final 2 years ago we we were just back from holidays we rushed back from the airport the final was on and the the aforementioned son is now twelve years old, and he's sitting there watching with me. And my my wife was watching it, and and the, they start. They played the music at the start of it, and uh, <coughs> I found myself getting kind of ridiculously emotional. And I could feel. it. Uh, hold on. No, no, just let, let yeah. me just let me just explain, right? I found myself kind of with tears in my eyes, right, and kind of a lump in my throat. And of course, my my wife spots it, and is like. Basically, she's falling fall around the place As laughing, going, do, what yeah. is the story? Yeah, And um, so later on, I was kind of trying to explain it to her that when I look, I, I just felt this incredible sense of nostalgia. And when I think of sort of World Cup and European Championships, I kind of associate it with events in my life and the people that I shared them with and very, very happy memories. Like I would have, I was a football fanatic as a kid so I would have known every FA Cup winner, every League Cup winner, every FAI Cup winner up until the mid-90s. Now at some point real life takes over and you don't have time to kind of indulge that kind of encyclopaedic knowledge. But European Championships and World Cups come every two years. You have the time and the luxury to do that. I used to feel like
1: that about the Olympics.
0: Yeah, I, I get that. And I right. can understand but why you don't feel like that anymore.
1: Exactly. Because I it's mean, lost it, something. Because it's it's peopled to a substantial degree by cheats. Yeah, uh, and soccer, professionals. Soccer, there's, there like, soccer is all about cheats. Like, soccer is well. all about diving in the box and, you know, looking for handballs and all that sort of stuff. Um. I'm not trying to suggest that rugby is better now. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think modern day sport has absolutely See, no relationship with the emotion-filled days that you're talking about. Well... has nothing to
0: do with it.
1: I, 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 different planet.
0: I, I, I don't entirely disagree with that, but I still think when you watch an amazing football game. Like when I think of the the 2006 World Cup semi-final between uh, Germany and Italy, 0-0 after 90 minutes. And it was the most extraordinary 90 minutes I've ever seen. I just, I still get goosebumps when I think about it. And there's not too many things in life that, that makes you feel like that. And I suppose it's worth making, maybe a more, I accept what you're saying, maybe it is a little bit pathetic that I live my life in in World Cup cycles. No, no, it
1: isn't. It's just that you're doing it about a game that is no longer the game that you fell in love with just the same as rugby isn't the game I fell in love with, the Olympics aren't the game that I fell in love with I mean, like, you know, like you I, I, I knew everything about the Olympics like 1948 Eddie Engali coming into the stadium mm. first in the marathon and he collapses halfway around and is passed by Cabrera of Argentina, it's 1948 <laughs> like, this is 70 years ago and and I can remember that Galley lost his leg and stood in a landmine in the Korean War and as a Belgian soldier. Well see,
0: interesting you mentioned war, George, because this day seventy years ago and this is why I think the European Championships I actually think it does actually mean something. This day seventy in nineteen forty, this day what's that, seventy six years ago, Norway surrendered. To, to Germany and you had the Nazi regime this monstrous regime trying to impose their superiority in inverted commas on the whole continent here we are 76 years later the only uh, and there's what they were saying on the news 10 million people on the move for this European Championship but they're on the move to see a football game you know there's no we're not we don't see Germany and France or Germany and Poland going to war anymore what we have is 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 teams playing football and I uh, but is, that not the, is that not the best demonstration no, of how Europe has has no, developed? No, I, I would also contend as well that this is probably the most important European Championships that has ever been played, because of what happened last November in Paris, because yes. of the terrorist threat, yeah. be, which I I know you agree with. This was nothing less than an attack on our way of life uh, in the West.
1: Yeah, I I mean I will I will be. Watching this football championship with more, and the interest isn't even the word, but 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 with trepidation almost. Oh, absolutely! I mean, because the a cha- I think a challenge has been thrown down almost in a sense, like the French people are saying, like we're 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 going to live our lives as normal and we're going to have the sporting event, and you're not going to stop us. And then there are undoubtedly people who are saying, Well we're going to try and stop you, yeah, and. I'd be very emotional about France for that reason. Hugely yeah. emotional. Because
0: if we don't, <laughs> if, 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 the, you know, if we can't gather in our thousands to watch a football game because of this threat, yes. then we are, are, we are raising the white flag to those uh, extremists. And that's why it is, it is just so important. Football is definitely secondary. Who, who wins this
1: championship? Correct.
0: It doesn't really matter. There's something far well, more although we do know,
1: we do know that Ireland aren't going to win.
0: Well, Greece do won us... Greece won it and uh, look it's not going to happen
1: but I will just make the point 2004 If the Greece assistant it, manager hadn't uh, chickened out we could have won the World Cup then I
0: think we could have got to the final would we have beaten Brazil in 2002 I don't think so Denmark won it in 1992 uh, it's look it's highly unlikely that Ireland are going to win it I think if we get out of the group it'll be seen as a good tournament but uh, any one of six or seven teams I think could win it but I, you know what it really doesn't matter who wins it. Who did John Jones make his debut against? Oh, in international football? Yeah. Whoa. Now, if you'd asked me who Liam Brady made his debut <laughs> against, I could have told you. Uh, I don't know. Sweden.
1: Was it? In Delhi, my park. Wow. Scored, scored a goal.
0: Okay, and I now live right right around the corner from uh, from Dalyman Park. Oh, not um, John Giles, no. No, <laughs> John Giles lives somewhere <laughs> in in. Uh, so. Look, like from from the moment I can remember, I uh, the Ireland football team were, you know, I can remember tears of frustration uh, as we fail to qualify for you know, the games and, and the fans who are listening who are my age will remember Sofia they'll remember Paris they'll remember Brussels and the heartache yeah. and I, I thought we'd never qualify and for a major and members chapter.
1: of my generation will remember John Atteo heading into the goal in Dalyman Park in mm. the 91st minute you,
0: they said you could hear the silence all the way to O'Connell Street basically yeah. When that John when that, Atteo yeah
1: and last, forget, last minute crossed by Tom Finney
0: See you. You loved football at one point.
1: Oh yeah, but sure, I could name all the FA Cup winners and all the FAI Cup winners. Up and to what year? When
0: did you? When was your? At what moment did you stop doing that? Because I I put it when I was around sort of mid twenties. I just kind of stopped. Yeah, it's not I, I stopped I watching that, the matches. Yeah. I just stopped remembering.
1: When it. when when the Arsenal? I think really when the Arsenal stopped having. Uh, players from the home countries when soccer started when I couldn't pronounce the names of the fellas on the team I think I gave up Is that such a bad thing that you have <laughs> That's an awful thing it, uh, it, don't get me started we'll have to have another programme the, the soccer why we why we support English soccer teams now when there isn't a single fella on the team from these, mm. these islands is unbelievable
0: 51 games George over the next few weeks 51 games to be watched.
1: I won't see one of
0: them. Well, I won't watch all 51, but I'm I'm planning to watch a good chunk of them. Huh? I, I said I won't see all 51, but I am planning to right. watch a good chunk well,
1: of them. Well, I mean, you have a choice on Monday night. You have the right hook on radio or Sweden in the soccer...
0: I'll be listening to The Right Hook, George.
3: <laughs> All right. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander seven-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie.
1: Alison Spittle is going to be here uh, shortly with news of public toilets in nightclubs. But another expert on public toilets in nightclubs now joins me. I thought I must say that he'd be in France, but it is. Barry Kenny, Communications Manager with Irish Rail.
3: Evening, George. Are you going to France? No, I applied. No joy. Couldn't get tickets. Couldn't get tickets, no. But now, to be fair, ten, I didn't try too hard. Ten thousand people are over there without tickets. Yeah, yeah. I know. But kind of when it comes to major tournament, I basically kind of want to see it all. But so. do you
1: not always get a ticket like? When you no. go to these things, do you not always get a No, ticket? I
3: mean you'd mostly be able to kind of, you know read one out or find some kind of a source somewhere, but I mean there's a hundred thousand in total going over for this and you know From Ireland. Yeah. You're kidding Yeah, me. no, supposedly a hundred thousand people in total. People. Yeah, yeah, in total. And I suppose if you take it, it's people right across Europe who are Irish who lived there and because we're Oh yeah. You know, uh, all okay. in the European yeah. Union we have free movement and all those very positive things that we have. And um no, it's uh, all right. I mean I'll just get stuck into it from the first match tonight onwards. i so will just watch right. an awful lot. Are you you're not planning it? It will totally pass me by. Will it? yes.
1: Really? Why? Well, it's on during the show, so, right. I mean, on Monday, so... I, okay, I, I promise I'll still <laughs> listen, I promise. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. yeah. But, um, Shane Coleman said the
3: same clap job. <laughs> I mean, but th- in, I, I say, I'm looking forward to it starting, because has there ever been a more joyless, pessimistic build-up to a major sporting event between terrorist no, 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 threats, sure. state of emergency, strikes... strikes. Flooding in Paris. are oh, this—you just hope that once. Yeah,
1: a- but your man Brendan Ogle, would appear to be
3: in charge of all the French <laughs> unions. No, would I'm he? Just, <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure Brendan looks over with awe at some of I—I've been into Brendan a couple of times yeah, recently. Yeah, well, Brendan would love to
1: be in France. <laughs> like when it's a strike every week,
3: he'd, he'd tell you Cuba would where he would rather be. He would say that himself. But uh, it's extraordinary. It looks like they are. By and large, going to get through it in some shape or form. But the power over there—I I was on Erasmus in 1991 uh, in Grenoble, and even at that stage, the remember our tram system, as it happens in Grenoble, shut down, and the view was, well, we haven't had a strike in a year. It was, it was that—it was that level of militancy, and you can see that no matter what kind of labor law change is attempted in France, they will be on it, and they'll strangle the the, the economy for their ends and. That's really? just the norm, you know. But, Incredibly um, powerful. Oh, completely. And I, you know what I mean? And like France still has that very defined left and right. And I suppose always yeah. has had that. But what you have coming through the gap, of course, is the, the populism of the far right. Of oh, the right. National Front. Okay. You
1: know? uh, any other stories caught your fancy? Well,
3: I suppose, I mean, on that theme uh, of European movements and populism, I think they're going to go. I think the British are going to leave. I don't know what you think. I mean, we could have in a few months' time a situation where we have a disintegrating European Union and Trump in the White
1: House. Disaster for the global economy. No, no, no. No, no. Can we separate Brexit
3: and Trump? It's the same movement. No, no, it's not. It is. No, it's not. It is. It's 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 fear of change. I'm all for Trump. It's regression. I'm all for Trump. Closing your I'm borders. I'm trying to
1: find. Uh, can I get a vote in the, the, Is that the right? <laughs> <laughs> a
3: posted vote? Well, you're not a Muslim, so you'll be let in in the first instance. So that that'll help. You know so what?
1: anyway, come yeah. back to Brexit. Yeah, I am increasingly, and I've been this way for quite some time, mm-hmm. uh, principally because of of uh, so many people that I know in Britain. Yeah, and they're all voting to leave. Yeah. and these are not like. No disrespect to hmm. electricians and yeah, mechanics, but these are like the city of London, mm-hmm. for instance, huge numbers in the city of London, all voting to leave.
3: And is it? I mean, because I don't know if you, there was a piece of news last night and house prices kept coming up. So if you're in the city of London, where essentially you have been at this stage priced 50 or 60 miles out. Yes, you know that's weighing on people, and this was more in kind of one of the kind of traditional northern working class towns, yeah. where this it wasn't so much fear of the unknown, fear of different nationalities or ethnicities. It was, I can't afford to buy a house. I ah, can't. Yeah. But
1: you know, I think the number
3: one. Hmm is immigration oh it is it is and this is the thing and, and again looking at see, the debate, they're right? not
1: they're not that worried about Syrians mm-hmm. because their view is listen we can just lock the tunnel and so on
3: you know and splendid isolation and all that yeah, yeah. That,
1: that's fine but they can't stop Latvians, Lithuanians, Estonians
0: But and no one
3: over there has the guts to stand up and explain why it is good why immigration is good for the it, Immigration economy. is not good It, it, is it good. isn't It is It isn't Right across the European community Do you know what, what the projection
1: for the English population is by I think 2050 What? 85 million And? Where are they going to fit them? Because they'll all be south of Birmingham well, if you think the price of a house yeah. in in the south of England is bad now, with eighty five million on the island, you won't. But is nobody that, not, is that
3: not the job then of government and governments to actually plan for that, to allow no. for that? So, you know what I mean? That and also what will happen is with countries like the ones you mentioned, the Eastern and Central European. Is what happened with us? We went. to are a- us, Irish. We went abroad. We went to Britain. And we went to America oh, to make a I, I We come argument. home when we brought I hate it home. This. No, we bring I it hate home. This you think argument. that they're there in La- they're there in Newcastle for the love of the weather, I, for the like, love of the lifestyle.
1: Uh, this argument that we went to to Ellis Island <laughs> <That's> after the <laughs> famine and uh, no, it, I'm talking yeah, about. And then it. Oh, hold on, yeah. I was one of them who went to England, yeah. right? Yeah, and you the, came back. Yeah, but. The vast majority didn't come back, but the point was that there weren't eighty-five million people living in England, and most of the people living on the island spoke English. Plenty the of pr- r- no. The problem now is, and I'm increasing. I would vote leave.
3: Right, we vote for Ireland. You yes, would vote for I'd Ireland vote leave. out of this this small open economy, out of the greatest single trading bloc in we, in the world.
1: What have we seen? We've seen. In this country. Mm. I'm, 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 this is not racist, Now I don't mean it in that way.
3: Right. right.
1: I, we're here. and My walk from here to the car park by the Westbury Hotel takes me less than 10 minutes. Right. It's even money I won't hear English spoken. What's your problem with this? Because they're not tourists. Yeah. The point is... They're
3: here working. They're working in the Westbury Hotel. They're working in the bars and the restaurants between here and there, in a situation where this is a city that's pretty much approaching full employment again.
1: And what happens when it's not approaching full
3: employment? But it is a bit. Do you not this read this the influx, economic tea leaves, which will deteriorate hugely if Britain leaves, because the whole European Union will ex- will will collapse. But the European
1: Union's dead.
3: Netherlands will will go, and that will have hugely negative repercussions. For you us cannot
1: here. have
3: a union
1: of 27 people.
3: Countries, yeah.
1: Countries. And propose to add the Turks to it, the biggest uh, the, Muslim population in the, Europe. The
3: Turks don't get in unless they change the laws and they're going in the opposite direction at the moment. No, the Turks, it, is, it is the big problem and it is the bogeyman and I have to say, and I'm on the Remain side and i be on the Remain for Ireland and, and very pro-European, but I listen to the Brexit debate and the Leave people are simply Better. They understand their audience and they're communicating. They're playing it and playing on fears and they are winning. And it's, it's terrifying for they're what comes winning next for us.
1: Hands down.
3: Yeah. Hands down. Because no one is willing to ma- make the positive case for the European Union and make it effectively and challenge this view of immigration being this evil that stalks the land. It is not and the people that are here and the people that are in britain that have come here from but the new count countries from romania and hungary Five million. Hungary. million right. what you're going to have yeah England. but what you're going to have right let's say the eu disintegrates okay like france netherlands we're going to have borders up we're going to have border controls traveling why trade are you do all about, this right why are you then you to have present your for, passport then look further east right and look at hungary where there's extremism coming into government and where it is there's is simply racist governments and how Austria is going that way and how the National Front is growing is growing in France. Europe has kept the continent safe and people kind of discount that. Oh, for God's sakes, the war was 1945. Croatia are in. They were in war up to 1995 and Serbia are trying to knock on the door because if they're at peace with each other and trading with each other, the whole continent benefits.
1: All right. Uh, Paul says... You're not conceding, (laughs) though. No, I'm not. Give it to your guest with both barrels. I hope the British leave the EU. Hate to tell you, George, you're an out-and-out racist. Um, says Martin uh, but my view on immigration according to Mark and Wicklow is short sighted what's the fuss about Brexit says Eamon if the Brits vote to leave the government uh, can just ask them to vote again till they get it right well that is true like they, that's what they did with us they kept telling mm. us keep yeah, voting but this
3: is I mean you know uh, as uh, as David Cameron said the day he proposed the referendum he says you don't apply for divorce and simultaneously make no. plans to renew your vows. All right,
1: but the British were never committed to Europe. The British hmm. have not been committed They're to Europe ambivalent. since yeah. the day they
3: entered. Yeah. They have like,
1: always been ambivalent. We are, in fact, strangely enough, mm-hmm. we are the greatest Europeans
3: of them all. Well, we were up to a point. No, but yeah. like when the Euro- yeah, when the Europeans were giving us money, we were really, really pro-European. Yeah. When the Euro came yeah. in,
2: yeah.
1: we more than any other country were yeah, the most you're right. accepting yeah. the French were still putting francs on the bill <laughs> yeah, 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 right? the okay. would, yes. but the British stayed with Sterling yeah. the British never Blair bought Blair
3: wanted it. to it was Gordon Brown that kept them out uh, but I mean like the European Union is a classic case of overreach there's no doubt about that in terms of the Euro and in terms of I think not appreciating what free movement would do but it is here now and I think it is for the for the greater good and by the way I don't believe you're a racist which takes us on to something else this week Unless you want to keep going on Brexit. No, no, right. we don't keep going. Taking offence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an I, industry.
1: It is an industry. Manufactured offence. Now, what's the latest offence?
3: Uh, yesterday, I don't know if you read, a, a ridiculous piece in the Irish Times. Uh, there was, I think, uh, Christina Cleary is the lady's name who ran in the mini-marathon. And there was um, banners up from, I think, the sponsors saying, run like you have f- forgot to turn off the immersion and the traffic on the N11 never looked so good. Gross offence from from Christina that clearly this is institutionalised societal sexism at play. To talk about the immersion. I mean, that's an Irishism. There's this absolutely nothing to do with gender whatsoever. And this was like, you know, a week or whatever it was after the, a number of days after the mini marathon, taking the time to put an op-ed in the Irish Times about this gross offence I thought it was just, it's, it's active hunting for offence No but, yeah, but there is yeah. the, the,
1: the thing now is I was speaking to a fellow at Oxford University mm. uh, an academic you yeah. know and, and he made the point that um, Jesus Karl Marx <laughs> and somebody else would not be allowed into Oxford because there'd yeah. be so many people taking offence This thing
3: safe spaces you know gone is the idea and it's, it's a university based thing I think it's in the States and think in Britain as well that certain ideas or certain concepts or certain challenging views can't be debated. I mean, what the hell are universities for? Well, the British now say to the universities yeah. that you you can't have
1: like uh, views that are out of the ordinary. Like. Yeah, that's the I mean, extreme. I mean, view. the idea
3: is bring the extreme views in and show and demonstrate through the power of your own argument why they are wrong. But this thing, I mean, and I don't know if you heard this Australian journalist this week, did you? No. I have to say hats off to him. He refused to apologise. There were storms in Sydney and... There were what? There were storms in Sydney, right? Yeah. And destroyed some of the coastline. And he put up a little joke on Twitter saying, Coogee Beach is destroyed and for once the Irish aren't responsible. Right? Right. Okay. <laughs> Needless to say, the Irish offence industry kicked into play, whatever. This is disgraceful. Seven News. Why are you letting this guy on here? And he's just come back and said, I thought you guys were good humoured. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do anything about the interpretation right. anybody's going And I'm not going to come out and put a false apology out on this. Yeah. And I was full of admiration for the guy because we see it all the time, this manufactured, if I cause offence, I apologise, which isn't actually an apology at all. Uh, but he stuck to his guns and uh, hopefully his employers uh, yeah. stick to their guns right.
1: too. Okay. So you're serious though when you apologise that the yes. points are out of absolutely Absolutely. And, and I can I clamped <laughs> our feet. <laughs> yes, right. And a
3: serious point... If we feel, you know, we would not apologize for something that we felt was done for the right reasons, you know. Were you
1: thrilled skinny that Sharapova got nailed, were you?
3: For the <laughs> That's the phraseology or you'll have more <laughs> offence seekers coming on, right? <laughs> uh, for now, a good result. But you've got to watch what happens next. Because in tennis, she got two year ban ban for Meldonia Mildrenate. She is the architect of her own downfall, uh, according to the International Tennis Federation. Since she was 17, since she won Wimbledon, she's been on this stuff. It was put on the banned list and she never declared she was taking it. It was not on because even though it's on the banned list, they recommend that no matter what you're taking, you, you just listen to stuff you're you taking. You t- yeah. you're taking. Right. But yeah. she kept it from her doctor, all this of thing, And she was on 18 supplements and medicines. Now, this comes back to, I suppose, the old Eric de Bruyne point from years ago in that, you know, is it not fair? And I, and I don't agree with it, but his point was, surely the level playing field is let everybody take anything they want. This was the wife the, the of... The husband uh, of uh, Michelle.
1: The husband of Michelle de Bruyne.
3: Yeah. Um, because the supplements are Performance enhancing. Yes. The legal drugs are performance enhancing. They're not taking them because they have sniffles. I mean, this was something that she was taking to enhance performance. That's why she was taking it. Um, But this kind of, you know, supplements, you you know, from rugby, from schools, rugby.
1: Well, school rugby is a very worrying issue because mm. what they're taking is not legal, these kids, mm. but they are now living in a culture where there is a belief that, like, it used to be, I'll get better if I practice more. Yes. The great Gary Player right. thing, yeah. they, the, more the more I, I practice, practice, the look here, I guess. Yeah. 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 Whereas now kids actually believe that there's a magic bullet on the pharmacist's shelf. Yeah.
3: But I mean, there's, they are taking legal supplements as well. No, legal. Everything they're taking is legal. It's just bad for them. But the thing about Sharapova is look at our sponsors. They're standing by her. Are they? Oh, most of them are. Nike have stayed. Head tennis rackets have stayed. Evian have stayed. Well,
1: no, just explain something about Nike.
3: Yeah. All right?
1: Nike left Tiger Woods. Yes. Because he was an adult.
3: No, 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 no. Nike never left him.
1: All right. Well, somebody left him.
3: Yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh,
1: sponsors leave Woods because he's an adulterer. Yeah. But sponsors stay with Sharapova because she's a drug drug chief. chief.
3: Yeah. It's it's absolutely. It just shows
1: that. The capitalist industry of which you are part of has no
3: conscience. <laughs> Excuse me, we are in the, you know, that third way, that Clinton-esque part station, part commercial. We're right down the middle there. But Gatlin, I mean, I can't remember, was did ask or Nike, Justin Gatlin? Like, I mean, an out and out <laughs> proven. Un- un- oh, yeah, you man, Justin, at the yeah.
1: 100 metre guy. Yeah,
3: they stuck with him as well, or they went back with him. But what has happened in tennis in the past is, and I don't know if it's unique to tennis, the bans have been reduced, so she may be out for two years at the moment. But watch it because the Marin Cilic, who I know you know well, had a ban reduced from nine months to four months, and he argued on the exact same grounds the Sharapova is about to, to argue. He's a tennis player as well. So? Yeah, he won the U.S. Open in 2014 after he had served. I the
1: stopped uh, watching tennis when Billie Jean <laughs> King and the other one. Well, do you remember her doubles partner? She She was gorgeous. She was a kind of a Mexican dame. Okay, a little bit before my time.
3: I don't, just a little bit before my time. I don't remember Billie Jean King's active professional career. Do you not? No, I don't. So you can't tell me her maiden name? I, gosh, no, I can't. Billie Jean Moffat. Okay, very good. No, but you've missed out, George, because tennis at the moment is like the pinnacle of international sport. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Look at the top of the men's game. We've been through an era of Unfathomable greatness. You have Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. You're trying to
1: tell me, yeah, right? Yes. That Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Yes. Were better than Holden Rosehall.
3: Yeah. This is the, no, the levels to which no, they have pushed no, each other. Right. No, no. Look at Djokovic at the moment. He is dominant. He is absolutely brilliant. You have somebody like Murray in any other era who would have half a dozen slams at this stage. Whatever. And he's there making final all the you time. you don't equipment.
1: know who Hoden Rosewall were know, so I how know. can you argue? <laughs>
3: well, <laughs> nobody can compare because they're dealing with different equipment. Nobody can effectively Correct. Effectively compare. You're probably, but I'm I thinking mean, the yeah.
1: ultimate thing and I know you'd say it because yeah. I know what you're like. <laughs> you probably think Tiger Woods is better than Jack Nicklaus.
3: You see, I, I only got the tail end. You're, you only know your own era. Like I think Maradona is better than Pele. And I'll stand that up with anyone. Maradona? Yes. Maradona is the greatest. Maradona took trash and he made them great, right? He took you Napoli. No, he it. took Napoli to Syria as he single handedly, literally won the 86 World Cup. Pele was a great player in a team of greats. Maradona is the greatest I suppose player that ever lived.
1: It, you, but you see, you never saw Eusebio.
3: True, yes. But yeah, see, and so, we have limited But sorry, neither did you really. Because, <laughs> you you really? because, because we see every match now, right? You know, what I mean, we have footage from every match. All we have from these times is snatched highlights and the odd major tournament. Actually, the week in, we, we can assess the greatness week in, week out a little bit more, and that's why the likes of Messi has, you know, can stake a claim to that ever because we can see week out, week in, week out what he does. But we really only have fleeting glimpses. I always say about Pele, some of his greatest clips are misses. <sighs> Which misses? You know yeah. that one where there's this elaborate and he does the dummy and then oh, he actually misses the goal? Oh, I thought you were talking goal. about his wife. His <laughs> no, missus. Oh no. no. <laughs> I think we're talking about Ica Casillas now, aren't we? That <laughs> <Well, laughs> <on> cross purposes. <laughs> exactly. Here, I mean. You know, well, it's clear where the where the particular train of thought is going there. Today is international level crossing awareness day. This stays right across the world. Stay safe at level crossings. We've launched a video with the Road Safety Authority to uh, ensure that people at user-operated crossings in particular, these are ones on smaller roads, um, User-operated? Yeah, so where you're the motorist, the gates are closed against the railway, and it's your responsibility to open the gates, cross oh, and close safely. Oh, I never safely. No, there'd be private roads, minor roads, oh. uh, that type of thing. There
1: was a famous one, uh, you know, the one at uh, Sandy Bound? Mm-hmm. And the gates were down like while the train was going through. There was a fellow with a dog and he looped the dog's uh, leash oh, no. on the on the
3: <laughs> yes. thing, right? Yes.
1: This you remember? I this? do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he looped it on to the gate. Yeah. And then of course the chain went through, so the gate went it goes up, and up goes to get the dog. A dog. Exactly, yes,
3: yes. Exactly. <laughs> but we have, and you, you'll you'll see it on some of the websites oh, it's as well today. Situation: people are trying to beat these automatic gates, whatever. And we would say, do not take the seconds uh, that it would take to put yourself or others in very very serious risk.
1: I go home and watch the opening ceremony. Well, I don't. The
3: opening ceremony in football terms are useless. Straight for the match at eight.
1: Who's playing at eight o'clock?
3: France against Romania. No,
1: I am. Uh, I fell asleep last night and missed the Good Wife.
3: So I'd be watching the okay, Good Wife. I've never seen it, and people say it's fantastic.
1: Oh, if you haven't seen Kalinda in the Good <laughs> Wife, you haven't lived. Right. She beats a uh, Pele's missus.